Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible Dennis Udall. Hello, Dennis, and welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you, Zach. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thanks so much for coming on. And today's episode will just be a little bit different than normal because me and Dennis are going to have more of a conversation than a straight-up interview where I simply ask Dennis questions. I still do want to introduce him. For those that don't know, Dennis Udall is a trained mindful self-compassion teacher. Dennis was taught by Chris Germer, Kristen Neff, and Steve Hickman and received his MSc certificate from the University of California, San Diego Center for Mindfulness. He has practiced mindfulness and compassion-based meditations since 2000 and previously taught mindful self-compassion in Berkeley and online. He himself has worked in education philanthropy for over 20 years. And we'll have a conversation during this episode because Dennis and I will be leading an eight-week in-person mindful self-compassion course in Berkeley starting April 12th. And we're super excited about it. And if you know anyone that's in the Bay Area that has some time around eight Wednesdays starting April 12th, definitely have them check out this training. So Dennis, mindful self-compassion, What's this all about? <laughs> well, why don't I start a little bit with what kind of drew me to this practice, my own journey. Sure. So listeners can kind of get a sense of, of who I am and how I've approached this. So it all started some years ago. Gosh, it might, might have been 10 years ago. I was on a 10-day loving kindness and compassion retreat at Spirit Rock mm. where you say these phrases, kind of loving kindness phrases. And who was teaching that? Oh, gosh, let's see. Uh, I've done two. So one was with Guy Armstrong and his wife, Sally, Mm -hmm. uh, Sally Armstrong and Temple Smith. Mm, Okay. So what you do is you say these phrases, and we actually teach this activity during uh, the MSC course, and you say them all day long, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of times during a Mm. 10-day retreat. And you kind of start by extending goodwill toward yourself and then you know, each day you add another category, like after yourself, you'd add like a good friend, a benefactor, then a a benefactor on a different day, a so-called difficult person, challenging person on a different day. And then eventually you end up with all beings, Mm. uh, animals and humans, et cetera. And you say these phrases for the person or the group kind of all day long. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, is I became really fascinated that I had probably, with this realization that I'd probably never spent more than like 10 minutes in my entire life wishing myself well. Mm. I've been meditating a long time. And that's something, you know, this is something that I realized I'd never, I really had spent incredibly uh, little time doing. So I became really curious about why it was hard for me to be, you know, it wasn't really hard for me to be compassionate toward others, but somehow I didn't really know how to have a compassionate relationship with myself. And so Mm. I spent the entire 10 days at that very first step, just extending loving kindness to myself. And, you know, basically it kind of opened up this whole 
new world that helped me look at all the reasons, and there are many, that it's hard for me to be uh, kind to myself, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. all the messages, you know, that I've been um, telling myself since early childhood that, it, in a sense, sort of maybe uh, undercut my sense of value and confidence, et cetera. And it was really the, you know, the magic of self-compassion that really helped me to see, to understand, and helped me to start on that journey to, to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally resonate with that because it's interesting how the meditation practices that by and large started in the East, how they came to the West and evolved. Coming from the yoga world, I see how yoga has turned into an extraordinary business with all different brands and franchises, and it's become much more of an emphasis on the physical. We don't need to get into that, but it's interesting how meta the practice of loving kindness has changed a little bit too, because I feel like when the practice started out, the idea is that you're extending your love to progressively more challenging people. You start with yourself, then a loved one, then a friend, then an acquaintance, then somebody who kind of gets on your nerves a little bit, and then an enemy, right? And I think the basic idea was that, yeah, you start with yourself because it's easy. And then when this practice came to the West, people are like, actually, extending it to myself is the hardest. That's the hardest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the the most challenging person. It's easy for me to cultivate a benevolence and loving kindness for others. But it's actually that first step that is the most challenging. Absolutely. I do think that that's something of a Western phenomenon. You know, when you talk to people, when you visit some of these countries that where there are uh, Buddhist monks that have been practicing, doing this kind of practice for a long time, the loving kindness, the metta, uh, it, the, you know, they don't have the same kind of sense of, of doubt. And um, it's just not part of the culture, you know, the, 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 the uh, mm-hmm. lack of self-esteem, et cetera, that seems to be so prevalent in our society today. So it's a little bit of an anathema to them mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Uh, people tell them that, actually, this is the biggest mountain to climb often. So you've taught a few MSC trainings before, and I am curious, when a lot of people come for their first day, for example, how hard are they on themselves already? You know, it is a a bit of a realization, and we actually do an activity on the first day mm. often where we we ask people about uh, to reflect on uh, their you know, how they regard the suffering of others, uh, particularly uh, someone who's close to them mm-hmm. and who comes to them for, you know, support or for advice and they're suffering somewhat. And it's unequivocally, people have this natural reaction to, to, to listen uh, empathetically, to uh, connect with the person, to, you know, and all this comes from them. Uh, they're, you know, when we ask them these questions, uh, so the, the empathetic response or the compassionate response is uh, right there with mm-hmm. someone else, uh, with a loved one. But then when they reflect on themselves, they see that uh, it's, it's an it's a entirely different matter altogether. So mm-hmm. it's a realization, I think, that happens fairly, fairly early. And I think because of that, it really spurs a lot of motivation and interest in the, in the practice and, and mm-hmm. doing, doing the activities of the course and deepening their understanding of self-compassion. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot. That's been a theme of mine lately along the lines of in order to get anything that we want in life, we do have to identify the obstacles in the way. And a lot of times that's hard, especially if it's our own conditioning, mental patterns, reactions to things. And 
you can call meditation whatever you want. Sometimes I think of it as bhavana, which means mental cultivation and cultivating positive qualities of mental capacities that we want to experience more of in our life. But for me, a lot of it is simply turning within and seeing what you find. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are very surprised at what they find when they look within in that it's not positive. It's not sunshine and rainbows. Uh, There's that joke from the comedian uh, Lily Tomlin where she says, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I try not to go there at night. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It, it is something that we, it's interesting, it's something we don't have a lot of practice at, right? Because uh, we're so mm-hmm. involved in the exigencies of the external world, you know, everything coming at us, all our responsibilities, the people that we care for, our work, et cetera. We're so oriented at the outside world. It's paradoxical with mindful self-compassion because we're actually sort of turning. We're taking that turn, the same attention you might pay to other people and us, and we're turning inward. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at ourselves and we're taking in not just our thoughts of feeling, we're taking in ourselves, our humanity, who we are. Mm. And it's that that we turn our self-compassionate gaze toward. And that's that's a little paradoxical, I think, and takes some getting used to. Of course, we're used to therapy. We're used to sort of thinking about our problems and our thoughts and things of those. But to turn and regard ourselves for who we are in all of our mess, that's that's mm. something that's not that folks aren't often accustomed to doing. Mm, absolutely. I think about my life right now as being very contemplative. I think about every day being able to meditate and look within and how lacking that was in all the education that I took in order to say earn a living in this world, but also everything from elementary school to high school. No one ever, ever told me to close my eyes and look within. No one ever mm-hmm. told me to make that U-turn uh, to discover the, the mysteries of our own psyche. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just last night, I took this online session with Adi Ashanti. I don't know if you know him. He's mm-hmm. kind of a popular spiritual teacher in the in the Advaita Vedanta world. Mm-hmm. He just had this phrase, and I just keep returning to it, that spirituality is the art of listening or the mm-hmm. practice of listening. Right. And I think about all the different ways we can interpret that, right? Even listening to another person with an open heart can be our spiritual practice. Going out on a walk in the woods and listening to the birds can be our spiritual practice. And meditation is that intentional looking within and also listening to see what's there, right? Maybe you're listening to your inner critic and saying, oh, okay, I see. Inner critic, always criticizing. Mm -hmm. But it can also be looking within to listen for anything in our being that goes deeper than the continuous movement of thinking, anything that we might be able to call upon, you know, a higher source of wisdom, or even listening to the heart, seeing what it has to say, right? Mm-hmm. It, which we often tend to ignore. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that has, uh, you know, deep implications for relationships too, and what we bring to them. The nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg, he often talked about that anytime someone comes to you and speaks to you there is behind it kind of a request mm. and i was so i was so sort of uh, struck by that you know it's a request to be listened to it's a request to be heard it's a request to be understood mm. and you know i was so struck by that sometimes at first when i heard that that i was like well you know what hey wait a second here you know sometimes i just want to say what i want to say i don't really necessarily care about what people think or or their reaction or how I'm reaching them. But the more I, explore, the more I explored it, 
there really, there is, it just brought up tremendous compassion in me to take that perspective that whoever is reaching out to me, whoever wants to engage with me is a kind of request to see their humanity, Mm. to engage with them uh, as a, as a human being, to listen, to understand. And that calls Mm. forth in me, uh, compassion, but it also has a sort of reflection on, well, what am I bringing to this relationship? What mm-hmm. am I bringing to this encounter? Mm-hmm. So there is, a, there is a, a, that, that part of listening, I think, is so resonant. And actually, in the MSC course, we spend some time thinking and reflecting on uh, empathetic listening as a skill mm. capacity. Yeah, I think about that a lot as well. I do think as human beings, we need love. We need to be seen and recognized and accepted for who we are. And I often look at all the things that we do that are unconsciously or implicitly a search for love or desire for love or recognition or to be seen by somebody else. I think social media is, is a really wonderful example. I think it's easy maybe to see somebody's like status and be like, oh, this is a silly thing to post or why are you, you know, posting this picture of your food or something like that. But every post, everything that we say that we put out there into the world is so somebody says, hey, I see you. I recognize you. You exist. You you matter. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, just, we're looking for that, that human connection. That's why we post online so that somebody can see us. And I see that same kind of reaching out that you mentioned that Marshall Rosenberg talked about that when we do express ourselves to another, it's because we want to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to establish some connection with other people. Mm -hmm. I wonder whether it's worth talking about the MSC approach overall, the kind of key qualities that Kristen Neff and Chris Germer talk about as uh, essential components of self-compassion. You know, they mentioned these three kindness to oneself, Mm-hmm. a sense of common humanity and mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think um, these are sort of the, 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 the pillars, if you were, well, of, 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 um, of mindful self-compassion. And it's kind of maybe worth talking a little bit about each of these um, because mm-hmm. this is the kind of backbone of the course, if you will. So with that first one, the mindful uh, kindness to oneself, we kind of Again, just what we were talking about earlier, we treat ourselves with the same understanding, the same kindness, and the same care that we we would a, a good friend, right? You know, that compassion has that sort of inner motivation to do something about our own self suffering. And so this is the really important thing about self-compassion. It has that action, you know, uh, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. It involves kind of actively soothing and comforting ourselves when we're in pain and then taking the, whatever action we need to, to, to help ourselves when we're struggling. And, you know, many of, you know, that many of the, of the exercises and meditations that we engage with in the course are evolved around that soothing and comforting. And then the mm. common humanity piece, which is the second quality is really, you know, supported by the first, the, the kindness to ourselves. And this is like, you know, when, when we struggle, you know, we often feel like something is wrong. We feel like the problem is with us. But with the mm-hmm. MSC, with the self-compassion, we see our pain as part of larger, uh, you know, a larger human experience, if you, you will. Every, you kind of recognize that everybody suffers. It's just a normal part of life, right? So, so that, uh, you know, we also find, um, you know, a, a lot of people think, there's some people come to the understanding that uh, mindful self-compassion is really about reflect, uh, all about ourselves. It's selfish in a sense, but actually... Mm-hmm. 
you're more likely to turn to the stress and the pain of others by connecting to your own because you know mm. everybody feels the stress it's, it's just a it's a shared human experience but when things go wrong you know we often feel uh you know isolated as if it's our mm. own bad luck our own fault but then what msc emphasizes that we when we remember that our struggles are what make us human and that everybody experiences them in some shape or form, you know, then we see we're not alone. We're, 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 uh, we're on the same boat. And then finally, then the mindfulness piece, right? That's just the third quality. And the magic of mindfulness, which as you noted, comes from the Eastern traditions, that, that really brings this stable quality to our minds that really helps us to see things for, for what they are. You know, it helps us to sort of open up in this more easeful and, and relaxed way. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it's really about these these three qualities: the the kindness to oneself, common humanity, and mindfulness. And you know, in short, they really help us. These qualities really help us to be more resilient. So, mm-hmm. in, you know, my experience and the experience of my students, you know, we we when we experience difficulties in our lives, difficult emotions, so forth, we can really respond in a more skillful way. Mm-hmm. And 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 one last thought here is that. Um, Really, the goal because there's so many different um, exercises, meditations, reflections, things of this sort. I think there's over 30 that are taught in the course. The goal is really for people to be their own best teacher, right? So they can mm-hmm. build these habits of self care into their own lives, right? They can be a resource for themselves. I think the key is, is at the end of the course, I would consider it a success if a student or anyone kind of knows what they need to take care of themselves and then they can provide it for themselves right in the moment yeah that mm. that would, that's mm-hmm. the goal often yeah absolutely i love those three pillars and it's something i keep returning to i think each one is a really wonderful intention that we can set that we can remember anytime we're going through a hard time recognizing that we're not the only one going through this challenge and that suffering is a part of life and there's always different ways to define MSC or self-compassion in general. Obviously, the easiest one is just to say it's compassion turned inward. But lately, I've been just really thinking about it as loving, connected presence. Mm-hmm. And each of those words tap into those three components that you talked about. Loving is the kindness aspect connected is the common humanity aspect and presence is the mindful aspect. Mm-hmm. because I know that mindfulness is like the word that everyone uses nowadays to describe the present moment, non-judgmental, non-reactivity that we bring. But I'm like, there's no mind when we're present. There's only the heart. There's just an open, spacious heart that can encompass it all. So I, I do like thinking of it as a presence, a loving and accepting presence that we can bring. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the kind of key differences between loving kindness loving kindness practice and compassion is that loving kindness when um turned toward uh suffering the world of suffering and suffering of others there are several different reactions one is unskillful it can turn into pity or the sorrow for Mm. the misfortunes of others but if a loving kindness stays loving in the face of, 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 of suffering, it becomes compassion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not only, uh, the, and, and this really what separates empathy from compassion, it has this action aspect to it. You, you want to naturally kind of do something 
even if it's just listening in a mm-hmm. loving, connected presence kind of way to someone. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it can take lots of different forms. It doesn't need to be big and dramatic. Um, it can be uh, something as, uh, you know, as subtle as, again, sort of uh, a listening or just being a quiet presence with others that are undergoing uh, difficulties and being in, in someone that they can lean on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. that, that, that dimension of, this, of the suffering is what's, what's key. And there, there is often some confusion between what's the difference between empathy and loving kindness and compassion. And that's really my, my understanding of it is, is that response to suffering. Mm. Yeah, I feel like empathy is a key piece to compassion. I almost think of it as like a quarter of it. <laughs> so just bouncing back to a few things you said, I do think people often realize that it's not just mindfulness that's one piece of the eightfold path. It's right mindfulness. That it's not just means, but it's skillful means. Right? We have the the term is upaya, meaning skillful means. So it's not just helping somebody. Because a lot of times we try to help somebody, but we don't help them in a way that they themselves want to be helped. So I do think of compassion as having four components, one of which is just cognitive awareness, the recognition that someone is suffering. So I might tell you I had a really hard day or something, and then you know. Now you know I had a hard day. But then empathy is that emotional component. So we got the mental, the emotional, the empathetic response. And then what prevents that like empathy burnout little piece is the intention and the motivation to act as you mentioned mm-hmm. we can set an intention mm-hmm. to be of service and to help and then we can actually act on that which i feel like is such a key step and it's that mindfulness piece that allows a much more spacious awareness i think to empathy that really helps to prevent empathy burnout that you see uh, so commonly in health professionals and medical health professionals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, w- with respect to the action that comes from the compassionate connection, you know, sometimes we do miss the mark and that's fine. But I, mm-hmm. my experience that is if you do make the, the effort and it, it does come from a sense of awareness and the needs of others and you're open to modifying your action, they really appreciate that you're making the effort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As long as it's, of course, conveyed that, hey, if this, if this is missing the mark for you, let me know. Mm. So I think it's better off to sort of uh, try rather than to uh, be fearful that we're acting in a way that may, might be unskillful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People really deeply appreciate making the effort. Mm. It's interesting he use this term missing the mark because what I've read is that's one translation and interpretation of this word sin. Mm. And it was funny too because I was getting into uh, St. Teresa of Avila, whose I believe original language is, writes, is in Spanish. And mm. translations are always hard because there's so many words that you could potentially choose. And then one reviewer was complaining that the translator translated sin as missing the mark. (laughs) And they're like, Ah. no, it should be sin. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of times we think like it's normal to reach for things in life and miss. It's normal to want to help our partner, but maybe not help in the best way. It's normal to Mm -hmm. want to come from a place of love, but maybe not give the best, most loving response we can in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then we, so we miss the mark. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why self-compassion is so transformative for a lot of people is they think that 
the voice that tells them that they missed the mark and therefore should correct. You know, if you're like bowling and you are a little bit to the right, you miss the mark, you have to go to the left. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people kind of grew up in a world where they think that if the voice that tells them that they missed the mark is harsh and critical and judgmental, Mm -hmm. that they're much more likely to aim right the next time. But both mindful self-compassion and the research behind mindful self-compassion says, no, actually a compassionate response uh, to missing the mark is actually more effective uh, and Mm -hmm. more motivational. And one huge reason for that is because if we know that if we do something, we're going to get deeply criticized, then we're much less likely to do it. So that's one of the findings that I found really promising about the research into mindful self-compassion is that self-compassionate people are more likely to take risks, are more likely to try new things because they're not going to be in a really bad mood when they quote-unquote sin or quote-unquote miss the mark. Yeah. Psychologists talk about empathetic resonance, right? When we're trying to connect with others, that's what's prevalent for us. So as long as that that action comes from that place of resonance and we know what that feels like inside, I don't think there's much risk in doing too too much harm if again we're kind of off the off the mark. I mean the topic of emotional resonance is so interesting. I mean this is this is what makes MST mm-hmm. so interesting. You know, we it's both a combination of sort of eastern traditions and western psychology and this is one term, I think, that has a lot of, of, of meaning for MSC, you know, that it's, it's one thing when we resonate with the positive emotions of others, but when we resonate with the negative emotions, obviously, it can be kind of a source of suffering. And so the, mm-hmm. the uh, empathetic resonance, it's kind of a good news, mm-hmm. bad news story. Mm-hmm. It's bad news because it's, <laughs> despite our best intentions, right, it's hard for us to hide um, <laughs> hide how we really feel because empathy is often almost at a pre pre-verbal level right but the flip side is we can take more responsibility for the emotions of others mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know because the emotional state that we cultivate has a direct impact on them we can see that right mm. you know and in practice this means that when there's kind of a downward spiral with someone mm-hmm. um like you know for example our, our our partner you know that looks at us and says hey you know you look you look kind of pissed off. Why are you pissed off? And then we get defensive and we say, hey, I'm, I'm not pissed off. What are, you, what are you talking about? Why are you saying that? They say something back and, and we follow with some kind of cutting rejoinder. And then before we know it, each person is sort of amplifying the other person's emotions. But the really good news about that is that we can kind of break that downward mm. spiral by starting to form an upward spiral of, of, of cultivating the self-compassion. So, for example, I mean, this is something that really works for me that I try in my own life is that, you know, I catch myself mm. in that kind of downward spiral, you know, say I'm kind of grumpy and my partner's grumpy and I notice what's going on. And then I can give myself um, self-compassion on the spot, like we teach during the, mm-hmm. the, the course, the self-compassion break. You know, I you know, put my hand over my heart or somewhere else and this sort of expression of, of um, self-kindness. Mm-hmm. And I say the phrases that, that are uh, linked to the three aspects of self-compassion that we just mentioned. Yeah, this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of any relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I think, what do I need in that moment? You know, may I give myself the compassion I need? Or, mm-hmm. or I can try um, 
you know, the giving and receiving uh, meditation that we teach, breathing in for yourself and out for the other. So all of that really, mm -hmm. for me, kind of creates a more kind of spacious uh, mind. Um, and I'm more likely to be a, li a little bit kinder. And then when that happens, the other person, whoever I'm engaged in, can uh, resonate with me. It's not, not, that's not to say necessarily I'm doing all that right in the moment of speaking with them, although some of these you can kind of practice, you can kind of do on the fly. But that's what really, that's, this is what really helps me to kind of um, formulate mm -hmm. a compassionate action with someone in the moment when I'm part of the picture and I'm, you know, creating some of that suffering mm -hmm. myself in relationship with others. That's so funny because yeah, the, the common mantra is suffering is a part of life, but when you're in a relationship, you can just switch it to suffering is a natural part of any relationship. Conflict is a natural part of any relationship and tap into that common humanity of all the other relationships in the world that also go through their own conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually can be quite a beautiful thing to just walk down the street and whatever you're experiencing, knowing there are people out there that are experiencing exactly the same you are, thing you are, mm. particularly with respect to any kind of pain or difficulties or uh, difficult emotions, etc. It invokes in me a kind of deep connection mm. with others. Um, I, of course, I don't necessarily know what they're, they're thinking, but I can be pretty rest assured that these emotions are universal and there are lots of people around me that do experience them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one piece I wanted to get into because you did mention the myths of self-compassion and that's one of the biggest ones that self-compassion is selfish. But it does help us in our other relationships for a number of reasons. One of which that you mentioned is that the better and more able we are in touch with our own emotions, with our own emotional world, the better we are able to connect with others and empathize with others who are going through the same thing. Yeah, And in another way, we want to empathize with our partner and our partner wants to be empathized with. And that's easy when life is good. But when life, when our partner is uh, having an issue, that we often shy away from it. We often want to fix it. We often mm -hmm. want to change the person. Oh, you're feeling bad. Let's, let's, let's go do this thing that will make you feel better immediately. Yeah. But it's, it is cultivating a capacity to be with suffering in ourselves and that in turn allows us to be with su the suffering of others in a way that doesn't try to fix or change or improve them and that's what we all want is someone just to be with us without wanting to change us in any way absolutely i think this is where the empathetic listening is so uh, crucial and valuable is you know the the person on the other end you know they're not they're often not looking for an answer they're not looking for a solution mm -hmm. what's really extraordinarily helpful to them is is that loving connected presence that's often just a, a, enough to kind of to to begin a process of, of reflection and healing to kind of pull back a little bit and gain a little bit of space on whatever they're experiencing knowing that there's someone there who's, uh, you know, by their side, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, um, well, you know, witnessing what they're, uh, what they're going through, what they're experiencing. I've seen this in myself. I often, I'm kind of a fix-it guy. I'm a problem solver. If someone comes <laughs> to me with an emotional problem, I immediately want to fix it. And that can just ring, that can ring hollow. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I've, I've learned to be, try to be more, you know, uh, mindful when I fall into that, that approach. Mm. But in terms of some of these misunderstandings of self-compassion, we in the course, we actually like to address these straight on because just because people come to the course, you know, they have a, 
a sense of um, it's the right thing to do in their lives. They somehow feel it just speaks to them. Mm-hmm. But there are these doubts. There are these questions and insecurities that tend to creep in from the edges and sometimes that they bring with them. So it's really, it, it can be important to get them out on the table. Mm-hmm. Kristen Neff, as I mentioned earlier, calls these the five myths of self-compassion. And you're right. One of them is that this it, it's selfish. There's a self-centered, you know, you're more concerned with, with ourselves than with others. But fact of the matter is by including ourselves in this circle of compassion I talked about earlier, our sense of isolation is, is lessened. Mm-hmm. And the research shows that self-compassionate people, they tend to be more caring, actually, and more supportive in their relationships. They're less, they're less jealous. They're more likely to compromise when there's conflict. And they're more compassionate toward other people. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that is, you know, quite common that you hear is this kind of a sort of, people often say, it's a, isn't self-compassion a form of self-pity? You know, we're just absorbed in our uh, our own problems. We're mm-hmm. gazing our own belly button. But, you know, in fact, as we noted, you know, self-compassion is really about recognizing that everybody suffers. Mm-hmm. But with the mindfulness, right, we don't exaggerate the suffering. It's not this kind of woe is me attitude toward, toward pain and toward mm-hmm. stress. And there again, the research shows that self-compassionate people, they're, they're more likely to engage in the perspective taking of other people, kind of step back rather than focusing on their own distress because they have the space to do that. And they're also less likely to just sit around and ruminate on how bad things are. So often these, these um, what these so-called myths of self-compassion have revealed is it's actually what's true is the flip side of it. It's a tremendous asset. To, uh, to, to develop in ourselves as opposed to uh, there being perceived downsides to self-compassion. I frankly mm-hmm. can't really think of any, but mm-hmm. there are some of these. Um, the other one is, you know, self-compassion is weak. Mm-hmm. You know, makes us vulnerable mm-hmm. to open to attack. But one of these uh, myths that self-compassion is a form of making excuses for ourselves mm-hmm. um, and uh, or that it undermines our uh, our motivation, you know, kind of takes the fire out of our belly. Mm-hmm. And what we see in each of these instances is that actually, in fact, in many ways, compa- self-compassion does the reverse. And the research seems to back this up. So. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was just reading a book and it was complaining about, well, not complaining about, it was critiquing patriarchy. <laughs> And it was saying one of the biggest symptoms of patriarchy is the qualities that we generally associate with masculinity are prioritized and seen as strong. And the qualities that are stereotypically associated with femininity are considered less. And tenderness, compassion, caring, these are often seen as weak qualities Mm-hmm. rather than the true strength that they embody when these things absolutely do come from the heart. And mm-hmm. even in something like self-compassion, there does tend to be a majority women in these courses. Mm-hmm. And even in the self-help world in general, there's a majority of women in the in the course, which is also kind of a symptom of patriarchy because... Mm-hmm. They're the ones like in charge of the like emotional worlds of the family and, and other things. But of course, the basic problem is that we all suffer. 
under patriarchy mm-hmm. is that we have men not being in touch with their feelings, not able to communicate, not able to be compassionate, tell the children that they love them. And mm-hmm. uh, also not going to things like mindful self-compassion or compassion or anything because uh, they it is perceived as weak, which is one of the biggest no's no no's in today's mm-hmm. society is men especially are, if you're male yes exactly <laughs> men are told at a very young age to never show any sort of weakness yeah yeah no i i, I couldn't agree more with you and and, and it is it is true that it, it, with msc the um there are there are in my classes anyway and i've, I've taught with my female partner it is a majority of of women, although there there are men too, and and it's been tremendous to have them there, and I hope in some way to, that we can begin to spread the gospel. You and I, Zach, <laughs> can recruit more men to this, and I think that the weakness is a big issue, of course, with with men, the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. But in fact, you know, self compassion in ways that's kind of hard to articulate. There's a strength that comes with being more um, resilient with self-compassion when mm-hmm. you're faced with more difficulties and self-compassion really has that capacity. Many of us, you know, the men there, you know, we get kind of brittle around these feelings that we have kind of one reaction to things that we don't like. And the self self-compassionate response to difficulties just provides more space, more elasticity, more resiliency, which in turn is, is a kind of strength. You know, mm-hmm. um, we can not sort of fall into the same have habitual responses to uh, to things, difficult emotions that confront us. So I think, uh, you know, often w- women really um, uh, get this and um, mm-hmm. uh, increasingly I think that men, men do, particularly men that kind of seek this kind of work out. Mm. So. so as we're winding down, Dennis, is there anything else you think people should know about the eight week mindful self-compassion course? Yeah. Well, I'd say a little bit about the structure of the course. It's, uh, you know, it's eight weeks, once per week for two or three hours. It's a, generally a small group, say 10 to 20 people. And it's, we're not making this up on our own, Zach, right? <laughs> it's a really rich, it's a really rich experiential curriculum based in science mm-hmm. and developed by the two co-founders of MSC, uh, both of which, you know, we, we, we've had lots of contact with. And each day, each session of, of the eight-week course, it looks a little bit different, but there's similar components to it. There's a lot of uh, whole group and small group work. There's optional uh, homework and life practice between sessions where people kind of go out into and, and, and they take these MSC practices and they, uh, and they use them in their, um, as they go about their day, their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And there are different kind of themes uh, for each each uh, class. In the first couple of weeks, we start with the basics, you know, like what is MSC, how to practice it, and then as the course progresses, we do things like um, you know we talk about practicing uh, mindful self compassion in daily life. We have a, a whole session on uh, discovering your uh, compassionate voice by working with the phrases, the loving kindness phrases that I mentioned earlier. We have we talk about strategies for working with difficult emotions, and uh, we mentioned earlier compassion and listening. There's a whole session on that, and so there are over 30 meditations, informal practices, exercises, 
And again, the thing I would emphasize here is throughout the job of the participants really is to see what works for them. Mm. What does it, what inspires you? What shifts something in you in a, in a good way? So that's kind of a, a brief summary of the course. Of course, there's a lot more written about it and, and, uh, and you've shared that information. And I, I'm so inspired by this practice, these practices, and I, mm. I love it. I've used it in my own life. I've seen a great impact on uh, people that have embraced this practice. Mm. And I, I, love, I, love, I love teaching and engaging others with it. So I hope there are uh, folks that will come join us. Absolutely. Yeah, I have the 300-page manual right here. So no, we're not just <laughs> <laughs> off the cuff <laughs> having a yes, workshop yes. here. But I do absolutely want to emphasize the empiricism behind it, the scientific evidence behind it. I I do love the wisdom traditions. I come from both a Buddhist meditation and a yogic mm -hmm. meditation background and love getting into the ancient texts and scriptures. And it does have its roots also in Buddhist mm -hmm. meditation. But as wonderful as these practices were, they weren't necessarily confirmed 100% by science. And a lot mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the work that has gone into MSC has been through trying different techniques, different ideas, different uh, questions that you would ask folks, and then test yeah. whether or not these qualities, inner qualities, were improved uh, after doing these exercises. So mm -hmm. there are there are a ton of research. Like 10 years ago, when it started, there was very little out there. But nowadays, there's hundreds of articles confirming the, mm -hmm. the benefits of the practices that we'll be doing for one's mental health, emotional resiliency, and overall happiness. That being said, of mm -hmm. course, it's not a substitute for therapy. Mm -hmm. We're not Absolutely. crisis management counselors or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it does often work synergistically with such things. So Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And, um, you know, Kristen Neff and Chris Germer, who the co-founders of MSC, are at the nexus of the research that you mentioned earlier. Some, a lot of it they've done themselves, particularly Kristen Neff. They've you know, derived this course from the best of the best breed of that of that uh, that research that's been conducted over the last ten years. The other thing I, I should mention is uh, that you know you do not, of course, have to be a Buddhist by any stretch to take <laughs> oh, yeah. this course. That's mm -hmm. yeah, it's a totally secularized. These meditation practice, different kinds of practices, exercises would work with with anybody from any any background whatsoever. And you don't have to, this course is not about teaching people how to meditate. I need to mention that as well. You don't even have to know how to meditate. It's one of several uh, skills that we teach here, uh, but it's not a, a meditation course per se. So you, you don't, if you haven't had favorable experiences with meditation in the past, and I know there's a lot of folks out there, I certainly was that way. When I started practicing, I couldn't sit for longer than five minutes at a time without pulling out my hair, uh, <laughs> that, that's absolutely fine. If the meditation aspects of this don't resonate for you, there's plenty more that will. So. Mm. so I'm sorry for not warning you ahead of time, Dennis, but this is the Learn to Love podcast. And I finish every podcast by asking my guests one question. So I'm going to put you on the spot mm. because I always let my guests sure. know ahead of time, but I forgot this time. <laughs> Uh -oh. But the question is, Dennis, what do you wish everyone knew about love? 
of course, we can always be more loving. We can always develop love and widen our circles of who we love. But I would say the most important thing is that it's an innate quality. It's, it's within us. We're born with it. It's a natural aspect and dimension of our, of our mind. Love can be felt in, in so many different ways. The one thing that comes to mind to me is that a lot of people that don't feel they're loving or loving enough. Hmm. From my experience and what I've seen and, and the traditions I've studied would say to the contrary, it's part and parcel of who we are. It's innate who we are. Hmm. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. I think we all have an incredible innate capacity and potential to love. And for much of us, it's only a potential and there's things we have to do to really realize it. Mm -hmm. There's another slight perspective that it's already there and we just have to recognize it. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. All right. Thank you, Dennis Adal, for coming on to the show. For those of you interested in signing up for our eight-week MSC course starting in Berkeley, California, April 12th, you can sign up at theheartcenter.com. That's the hyphen heart-center.com. You can also go to berkeleymsc.eventbrite.com. Those links will be in the show notes. If you want to learn more about me, head to zachbeach.com. And next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. we got some amazing interviews coming up, so stay tuned. Thanks, Ennis. Okay, thanks, Zach. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 